Welcome to Record Crimes. In each episode, we'll be getting into anything from copyright legal battles, crimes committed by people in the music industry, and and everything everything in between. People in the music industry? Doing illegal things? Really? Sophie to record us um, Seinfeld bass interludes. I told I her that she should do that anyway, just to get like money off of like TikTok yeah, and like any fuck. like a bunch of like Sophie's bass riffs. Yeah, for interludes, I I put them all in. I would do it to all of our episodes all the time. Sophie just played bass on a song I'm working on. Oh yeah, from and last week. Yeah, I added all my harmonies. Heck yeah, we love getting back into our own music. I know. I haven't like worked on my own music in a long time, so I'm like, hey. Been a long time coming. That's how I know I'm like going through it. <laughs> when your day job is your only job. Yeah, I'm having a, I'm having a moment the past <laughs> few weeks. Just a really long moment. Hey, you know, August was a flop. September's got to be better. Is that the saying? Yeah, no, it's, kind of, it's our <laughs> saying in this household. It's got to be better. It can't get worse. Um, Don't say that. On, Do not say that. Knock on wood. Okay. Thank it's God. Okay, we knocked. How was your weekend? Week? I'm feeling burnt out. I'm in my burnout mode. Um, but I'm trying to make some changes to fix that. But then I also, like, hate big changes so like <laughs> you're like i hate changes. i'm like what do i, I do self-improving i'm listening I to like to some self-improve. some like mental health oriented books um amazing so yeah really digging in there <laughs> really I, um, digging deep i've been listening to a lot of books about like women killing their husbands so maybe that's also some scared. like scared i'm scared <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> I was like, that's related. Oh, my God. Okay. And then this weekend, what did I do? I'm, like, losing my voice. I think it's because this weekend, Saturday, Mm -hmm. I, like, went out to this, like, pub, I think. Yeah, it's, like, a pub. Okay. And it was chill when I got there. Like, everyone was already there um, when I got there. And it was super chill. Like, my boyfriend and his friends were just, like, playing pool. And it was pretty quiet. And then, like, maybe, like, 10, 15 minutes after I got there, like, a DJ came. And, like, more people started kind of, like, piling in. Mm -hmm. But then, like, an hour or two into it, it was, like, a club moment in there. Like, people were dancing. But it's, like, in a pub. So, like, there's no, like, proper, like, space to dance. It's in, like, Encino. What is it called? The Shirley Goat. (laughs) I've never been there before. That's fun. Yeah, so... But, like, me and one of my boyfriend's friend's girlfriend, mm-hmm. Penelope, love oh, her. Penelope. She, her and I were, like, the only ones that in our group that, like, wanted to dance. She had a Shrek theme party recently. She's an icon. I would die for her. She always thinks I'm joking when I say that. But, like, anytime I say that Never to anyone, Penelope. like, just know that I mean that. Also, anyone named Penelope. It's so cute. It's so sweet. I know. She's just little, the like, peas. You're just thinking of little peas in a pod, little Penelope. Yeah. So, we were, like, <laughs> dancing our little booties off. Yeah. And while everyone else was, like, 
at the outside table just chilling and we were like we're dancing yeah boys, we are whatever. dancing except it like blew my eardrums out and i was tied to talk so loud just to order a drink or like talk to penelope so i haven't recovered fully <laughs> and i drank so much Ooh. it was really bad i was like i need yeah. to take better care of my body and then i was like no you know you can join me because well I went to a wedding this weekend. Yes, and know. she looked like a fairy princess. She Guys, so go beautiful. check out my Instagram. I tried a new fashion style that I was really nervous about. It looks so good. Um, because it's like very girly. It's so cute. And very dainty. And I am neither of those things. But we did it. We pulled it off. We got lots of compliments. I'm making um, a correction. You've never like outwardly expressed those parts of you. But you have them in you. I do. I have a little doily in there somewhere. You do. And I made it myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the most you thing I've ever heard in my life. I have a doily, yeah. And I made it too. And I made it. Um, <laughs> but it called. I, I needed this wedding was beautiful. It's like a late summer, early fall wedding. Yeah. So it's like at the cusp, warm. Sunsets are beautiful. And it was up in Napa. At a winery. You've been to Napa so many times this past year. It's amazing. I'm very I jealous. I really want that lifestyle so bad. <laughs> it's so far out of reach. If this podcast ever abruptly ends, it's because Clarice like moved to a vineyard in Napa and just like secluded herself from the world. And then if it abruptly starts again, it's because I dragged Alyssa out there with me. <laughs> yeah, actually. We just got a big move. Okay, I missed Alyssa, her too much. You're going to come live with me. <laughs> but so the wedding was beautiful. And I also got extremely drunk and I also have still not recovered and I also need to start taking care of my body. But like, what if I don't want to? You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, me, I was like, I can either take care of my mind or I can take care of my body. It cannot be both. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to, at least for this week, I have to, I have to take it back a notch. I I had two very fun, drunk dancing nights. I have never like danced the night away two nights in a row. What? Um, Drunk out of my mind to the point where I thought it'd be really funny to do a a Michael Jackson dance impression for my boyfriend's father. Like pointing at him, trying to get him to like come on the dance floor. So good. I like thrusted my hips forward and tried to like stand on On my toes. toes. Point it in his direction. I need a video of this dance oh choreography immediately. Oh my god. And if like <laughs> You know when someone like comes up to you after you just like embarrass yourself and they're like never change? Yeah. You know you have to change. <laughs> I know when people are just like, "Oh my god, you just like don't care about like what people think You're of you." You're such a free spirit. It's I like kept on there cannot that, be like, like a worse backhanded compliment. <laughs> I'm a free spirit. I was like, "No, I'm not." Do you know my OCD takes over yeah, my literally. life? My free spirit, my ass. I was like, "It's just You're this, like I'm just drunk." This fucking peach mule is kicking <laughs> butt right now. It's amazing. These frozen oh marks kicking ass. Yeah, actually. Mine no. actually. Love um, it. But yes, yeah, so that's where we are. I love this for us. Have you been watching anything fun lately? For mental health reasons, I've been rewatching the Harry Potter series. Love. Oh yeah, I forget you like leisurely watch movies. Yeah, you, like, don't I watch do like it. a lot of shows. Yeah. Like Lissa came in today, like pre podcast. I had Harry Potter on, and I was also decorating the house for fall and Halloween already. Yeah, she's ready. But yeah, I like playing movies while I'm like doing things. Yeah, I don't because like, like I don't need the like. It's more of like it's like a it happens to just be a podcast with like 
visuals. <laughs> no, I disagree. So I can, well, that's the thing. Like, I can just listen to it and I can be like, oh, that's what's happening right now. Well, you've also probably seen those movies a million times yeah, and you and have like photographic f- memory. Yeah, so like you can brain. play it in I your know brain. What they're doing. I'm more show based. I've been watching a lot of Survivor. I've been mm. on a Survivor kick. That was my childhood. I know, me too. My me and my dad used to bond over that show and Hell's Kitchen. That would be like our we'd tune in, you know? Yeah. Um one of my favorite fun facts about you. What? Is that you were kind of neighbors with a survivor winner Winner. yeah i won't up in willsboro yeah in your lake house if you've already seen it you probably know who it is because willsboro is like a small random town Mm -hmm. but like if not i don't want to say their name because i don't want to spoil it for anyone because she's because they're like a more a more recent (laughs) winner (laughs) they're like a more recent winner so like they live like a few doors down from where my family grew up yeah which is crazy crazy. and they still like she still like kind of lives there like part-time yeah. or she goes up there a lot she can survive I think she lives in santa monica though yeah here so we should go hang out with her oh my goodness Willsboro. yeah no survivor we're i'm gabe and i are watching all of the seasons so i got him into survivor when we first moved here in 2020 because he had never seen it i know we went to central but i was i was showing him like some like kind of iconic older seasons before he got into like the new ones where like kind of like the dynamics changed a little bit it's not the same it's well i like it you i like, like it. it better no i don't like it better it's, I, just, it's just different i like the the evolution of it okay fair. i can respect it i know that's like a hot take in the survivor community hey i'm all for like but granted i haven't seen the most adaptation. recent i haven't seen the most recent seasons mm-hmm. like maybe the past like four or five so okay. who knows but yeah, we're watching like one of the most iconic seasons right now. One of the first all-star season. Oh my <gasps> OMG, god! Oh, is that the guy? I forget his name, but he's he's like my favorite. He's like Rupert. Yes, you already knew. Tie dye Rupert beard. is literally oh such an icon. Rupert is like Survivor. He's on like seven seasons. Post-reward. Like oh yeah, Child. he is yeah. the he is. Oh god, I love that man. Yeah, and there's like Boston Rob and like a lot of like. You know, like iconic characters. The fact you know that they what have I mean? nicknames. Say love. So anyway, Survivor. <laughs> what is the thing where they've um how do they dismiss people? Travis spoken. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and it goes Yeah. The music. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I used to sit down and watch that with my family every Thursday night. It's literally my favorite show. The best reality show, sorry to say. Oh, no, I can get behind that. I haven't watched Big Brother though, and I heard that that's like mm. a contender for best reality show, so I can't say. That's fair. Um, I feel like that's a hit or miss, though, with a lot of people. Yeah, I guess so. All right, so I guess we should maybe talk about, like, our podcast topic, the yeah, crimes at we hand. We have a pod. It's called Clarice and Lissa Have a Pod. That's well, our side pod. That's our side pod. Where we just, like, keep all of our ramblings in the episode, and we'd never get on top. Hey, we have all the original audio tracks, so, like... Yeah, we're just going to release all of our, like, ramblings. When you guys ramblings. decide to pay us for our work no oh my god <laughs> sorry, don't be stick. fucking mean dude no i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> um my bad guys that's not what i meant we could i will be totally okay with us posting the unedited tracks if y'all want to i don't know if i would be three hours i say some worth. out-of-pocket shit not yeah, meaning true. to sometimes you and have I'm just to like, sign a waiver saying that you won't 
post it on the internet. Yeah, that you won't cancel or do anything <laughs> if we let you. Okay, I don't think I. Po- I don't think I say like cancel bullshit. I just think I, I think say so. like things that are like what. Why what did you say that? Yeah. Like when I listen back, I'm like, why did I say that? And or I how many it, and I cut times it, it takes for us to like repeat sections and like start over because we can't talk. Or how like many times people. we say, um, so. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or the. <laughs> God, that's my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you get it all, folks. For just five payments of Honestly, $9.99. You could have this too. There's nothing like more humbling than editing your own podcast and hearing all of the things that you repeat True. or like all the little mannerisms that you're like, wait, ew. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a normal episode this week. Yes. 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 I'm trying to recover from the AI nightmare. Yeah, that was scary. Last week. That was I was terrifying. think about that so much. After that episode I showed Clarice, I realized that she had never heard of Lil Michaela. The, like, um, I don't know if she's, she's not AI. She's just, like, I don't. A concept. She said that she's, like, a robot, but she's not really a robot. She's, like, a real person, but then she's, like, she looks like a sim. I'm really confused by the whole concept, but, like, I showed Clarice and I broke her brain a little bit, even more after the episode, so... Yeah. She's in LA and she takes pictures with people. I don't get it. So if we run into that thing in LA, I'm I might push it over. I don't think it's like a real robot, Clarice. I think someone it's like a CGI. real person and it's just like edited to look crazy. Okay. That makes There's me feel no better. way that's a real robot just walking okay. around being an influencer. I'm um, sorry, there's just zero percent. Another reason chance. why Photoshop is bad. Yeah. Anyway. I was inspired by your story two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you talked about Harper's Bazaar. Mm, yes. And how the artists were not involved directly within the crime. Yes. Um, but it caused a huge chain reaction and publicity, like, to cover said crime. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a good time to dive into something like that and talk about an artist who passed away very recently. So I'm going to be talking about Shanita O'Connor today. And Rest in peace for real. Uh, for real. A true icon. And how one of her most public performances spearheaded the very public unraveling of one of the biggest scandals in world history, which was the ongoing sexual assaults within the Catholic Church. Cue the, the audience booing. Yep. Well, she took down a public religion, which sounds like she's, like, living my dream. We honor her today. Trigger warning, this case talks about sexual abuse of children and minors, not explicitly, but does mention it. And also suicide. Again, not explicit, just mentioning. Okay. All right, so I'll talk about her a little, and then I'll get into the stuff. Okay. I have this laid out in a very little way that I think will make a lot of sense. I love that. You're regressing. <laughs> <laughs> Big brain, small brain. <laughs> All right. So, Shanid Marie Bernadette O'Connor was born the 8th of December, 1966, which happens to be my mother's birthday, exact Such day and year. Oh, for real? They Two were born icons. on the same day. That's amazing. One near Dublin, California, and the other one in Dublin, Ireland, which I thought oh. was nutso. So very, again, very strange. She was an Irish singer, songwriter, and activist. Her debut studio album, The Lion and the Cobra, was released in 1987 and achieved international chart success 
1990 album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, marked her greatest accomplishment, selling over 7 million copies worldwide. And its lead single, Nothing Compares to You, was honored as the top world single of the year at the Billboard Music Awards. So that's just like a little overview of who we're talking about here. She was the three... That she, the th- she was the three. <laughs> Number three. She was the third out of five children to her mother and father. Okay. So very much middle child. Oh. We will see the uh, rebellious antics of said middle child. In her 2021 memoir, Rememberings, she wrote that she was regularly beaten by her mother, <sighs> who also taught her to steal from the collection plate at mass from the charity tins. Which okay. are like the baskets that yeah. priests will go. So I've been to church like three times. Yeah. So I get she it. was like facing terrible stuff at home, but they would go to yeah. church and she'd be like, Psst, grab that. In 1979, at age 13, she went to live with her father, who ended up relocating to Virginia after remarrying his okay. second wife. So it doesn't really say too much about those early years other than like life with her mother was very difficult yeah with all those children especially and at some point her mother and her father got divorced and by 1979 at age 13 she moved to united states for a little bit okay at the age of 15 however following her acts of shoplifting and like other mischievous like burglary things she was placed for 18 months in a magdalene asylum which was the Irish pronunciation, God help me. Do it. The Grenian Training Center in Drumcondra, which was run by the Order of Our Lady of Charity. So she was placed in an asylum. Okay. Because of her burglary and all her, like, she was a troublemaker, so she needed to be, like, retained. Yeah, like the troubled teen type troubled of teen, yes. industry type I, shit. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll also say that this asylum is in Ireland. So oh, she was in so Virginia. So she was sent back to... Sent back to Ireland, Ireland oh, to be okay. in this asylum. So it was said that she thrived in certain aspects, particularly in the development of her writing and music, but she chafed under the imposed conformity of the asylum, despite being given freedoms not granted to the other girls, such as attending an outside school and being allowed to listen to music, write songs, etc. Gotcha. So she clearly, like, wasn't such an extreme case to where she was, like, a danger to herself and others in public. Right. But for punishment, O'Connor described how, quote, if you were bad, they sent you upstairs to sleep in the old folks' home. You're in there in the pitch black. You can smell the shit and the puke and everything. And these old women are moaning in their sleep. I have never and probably will never experience such panic and terror and agony over anything. So, like, the nuns oh. running this place are obviously not the most... I was going to ask, is, is this, like, a religious Yeah, so, yeah, the, it was it's run like by a... the Order of Our Lady of Charity. Yeah, that so just like sounded nuns, like, yeah, okay. Strict, crazy Catholic nuns in Catholic Ireland. Okay. On February 10th of 1985, when Shanid was 18, her mother died in a car accident at the age of 45 after losing control of her car on an icy road in Ballybrack and crashing into a bus. Jesus. Yeah, so she didn't have a great relationship with her mother, obviously, but losing your mom at 18 is still a lot, especially in such a Well, I'm sure that was also just, like, a lot of conflicting thoughts and feelings. Absolutely, absolutely. In June of 1993, so, like, almost, I'll say, like, seven years, I can't do math, you Eight really years. are regressing. Yikes. 
Eight years after that happened, she wrote a public letter in the Irish Times in which she asked people to stop hurting her. Quote, if only I can fight off the voices of my parents and gather a sense of self-esteem, then I'll really be able to sing. That is so heartbreaking. Yes. So the letter repeated accusations of abuse by her parents as a child, which she had made in interviews. Her brother, Joseph, defended their father to the newspaper, but agreed regarding their mother's extreme and violent abuse, both emotional and physical. So even though some of them were like on the side of dad, they're both like, no, our mom was. Yeah. Everyone. No one was on mom's side. Right. Okay. Again, that month in June of 1993, Shanid said, our family is very messed up. We can't communicate with each other. We are all in agony. I, for one, am in agony. And then one of the volunteers at the asylum was the sister of Paul Byrne, who was the drummer for the band in Tuanua, who heard O'Connor singing Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. She recorded a song with them called Take My Hand, but they felt that at age 15 when she was in the asylum, she was too young to join the band. But no, that got her career rocking and rolling. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. I thought you were going to so, say something crazy. Yeah, no, so she was in the asylum until age 18. And, you know, some of the volunteers that came yeah. through to help with the program. Obviously saw... Yeah. Saw that she had potential. Right. She actually, she got to work on her music. She ended up recording at something at 15, but she was too young. So they waited for her to be 18. Okay. So then at that time, in mid-1984, she placed an ad in Hot Press, which was a music and politics Irish magazine. And she met Colm Farley, who was a famous music producer from Ireland, and he would be best known for his career with Shanid. Together, they recruited a few other members and formed a band, Tonton Makut, the band moved to Waterford briefly while Shanid attended the Newton School, which I believe is like a college. But she soon dropped out and followed them to Dublin, where their performances received positive reviews. Their sound was inspired by Farley's interest in world music, though most observers thought Shanid's singing and stage presence were the band's strongest features. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, she's still young, so she's not like writing her own stuff at this point. She's kind of like under the direction sure. of this producer. Her time with Tonton Makut brought her to the attention of the music industry, and she was eventually eventually signed by Insign Records. She also acquired an experienced manager, Fashna O'Kalale. Kalale? Yeah. Former head of U2's Mother Records. Soon after she was signed, she embarked on her first major assignment providing the vocals for the song Heroin, which she co-wrote with the U2 guitarist The Edge for the soundtrack of the film Captive. Okay. So O'Callaghan was fired by U2 for complaining about them in an interview. He was very outspoken on his views with music and politics. Mm -hmm. And because she was also being repped by him, Shanid adopted the same habits And she ended up defending the actions of the IRA and said U2's music was bombastic. 
oh. also in an interview. So she be this is like her becoming very outspoken and slightly yeah. controversial. Whether she like fully believed this like herself or was like somewhat influenced by her manager, we will never know. Yeah. Um, but she later retracted that IRA statement. I was gonna say, is that that's yeah. like controversial in a bad yes. way, right? Yes. Okay. Saying that her really comments know. were based on nonsense and that she was too young to understand the tense situation in Northern Ireland properly. So Ensign Records released her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra, in late 1987. Critics applauded her powerful and expressive voice and noted the complexity of her songs, even while acknowledging their decidedly uncommercial nature. Though it had no major hit singles, the album eventually sold more than 500,000 copies and went platinum. Damn. Yeah, so she had a very solid start. Yeah. And in 1990, her second album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, marked like the beginning of her becoming an international star there was phenomenal success of the smash hit single nothing compares to you which was a song originally written by prince and first recorded by a band called the family did not know that yeah but the album shot to the top of the billboard charts and nabbed shanid four grammy award nominations including best album best song best female vocalist and best alternative album fucking badass so she shot that song where it should have been oh yeah and the video for nothing compares to you won the mtv award for video of the year and o'connor was named artist of the year in 1991 by rolling stone that's so like so she's like everyone knows who she is she was climbing it up yeah. like truly way to ring in the 90s like truly yeah she would have two more albums, Am I Not Your Girl, in 1992, and Universal Mother in 1994, and they made far less of an impact, either critically or commercially. However, before both of these two albums that I just talked about, she had several controversial public outbursts, <laughs> <laughs> like her support for the IRA in 1989. Like I said, the statement was retracted a year later, and in 1990, she refused to appear on stage in New Jersey if the Star Spangled Banner was played before the concert because she believed that the U.S. music industry was racist. And she's not Also wrong. real for that. Like, Yeah, she, she was like, I'm not getting up on... I wish I had a better Irish accent. She's like, I'm not getting up on that stage. She's if like, you're playing no. the Star Spangled Banner, she's like, what the fuck is that shit? Get that shit out of here. It's not my concert. Well, she's also not American. Exactly. You're Irish. So, like, why would they, why they, why would they play that? Exactly. Like, Fucking New Jersey. Ugh, Sorry, our New Jerseyans. Sorry, New Jersey. But, like, you know it, too. Yeah. Literally. Also, a funny, like, tidbit detail I found that I wouldn't have mentioned if you weren't you. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, she was attacked as ungrateful and anti-American, like, and okay. drew criticism from celebrities, including Frank Sinatra, who fucking threatened to piece quote, of shit. kick her in the ass like he said that yeah literally like- um when people steamrolled her albums outside the offices of her record company in new york city shanid like attended, actually steamrolled yes shanid attended in a wig and sunglasses and gave a television interview pretending to be from saratoga shut up shut up <laughs> i'm obsessed i'm obsessed I'm and I was like, obsessed. Ugh. I was like, Saratoga. Also, that's kind of on brand for yes. Saratoga. So she's like, a lot of like straight unhingedness. Up attended people like bashing Same. her publicly. And she got in a weed or in a weed. She got in a wig and sunglasses and like got on television, was like, Yeah, I'm here. 
people are doing this. And I was like, that is hilarious. They're like, where are you from? Saratoga. Good. So I thought I should represent that one in there. Girl. <laughs> yes. I um, also love how these incidences are called like public outbursts yes. where you're just like, homie. Exactly. <laughs> this is the 90s. This was the beginning of I know. our normalcy, which is so crazy to me because that's what I'm thinking to him. Like, this is an outburst. Like, that's no, why it's people not. are like, and they're correct in saying that like she was like way ahead of oh, her time. Absolutely. And that's like the big theme of this story. Of course. So yeah. So then the anti-American situation was 1990. And then in 1991, she boycotted the Grammy ceremony and refused her award for Best Alternative Album, maintaining that her absence was a protest against the extreme commercialism of the Grammy Awards. And in 1992, the peak of her controversial mm-hmm. situations, we get to the beef of our story. On October 3rd of 1992, O'Connor appeared on the American television program Saturday Night Live, or SNL as we all know it, and staged a protest against the Catholic Church. So after performing an acapella rendition of Bob Marley's 1976 song, War, with new lyrics related to child abuse, she tore up a photograph of Pope John Paul II taken from her mother's bedroom eight years prior to this performance. So like she took it. Watch this clip in my head. Like it's so powerful in front as like she was tearing it up. She said, quote, fight the real enemy and threw the pieces to the floor. So like I got chills just thinking about it. God. Shanid later said that she felt the Catholic church bore some responsibility for the physical, sexual and emotional abuse she had suffered as a child She said the church had destroyed, quote, entire races of people and that Catholic priests have been abusing children for years. Her protest took place nine years before John Paul II publicly acknowledged child sexual abuse in the church in 2002. She was literally 10 years. It took them 10 years after she did that to publicly, when all the shit came out, and I'll get to it. And I'm sure you'll get into how she was just totally ostracized from Oh, society. absolutely, yeah. So, still on that SNL program, though. Yeah. The producers of the SNL show were not aware of O'Connor's plan, obviously. During the dress rehearsal, she had held up a picture of a refugee child, and ripped it up? No, no, no. Oh, it's <laughs> like what? But that's what her like in oh, place. Like they knew she was going to be showing was up a hold picture. A picture. Yes. I mean, someone on that set had to definitely like mm-hmm. have the picture on right. hand to and hand the, to her. Exactly. I'm just and saying then, someone knew, mm-hmm. but and the song was about it's the war from Bob Marley, right, and she right. replaced some of the lyrics with like about child abuse. Which I mean, for a refugee, a child refugee, that seems like very on point. Like I see how they can. Yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. This totally. is what she's trying to promote right now. Sure. And she speaks up for a lot of things. This is nothing new that she's done. Yeah. So another producer, last name Glass. Glass said everyone at SNL froze after the live performance, unsure how to react, and that the music producer, Liz Welch, went from jubilation to tears. The NBC vice president of late night television, Rick Ludwin, recalled that when he saw what O'Connor had done, he literally jumped out of his chair. And the SNL executive producer, Lorne Michaels, said... The air went out of the studio and that he ordered the applause sign should not be used. Dude. So the audience remained silent Dude. after she did that. 
and Shanid returned to her dressing room. That it was literally silent. Mic I drop. know you could hear the yes. paper, like the picture pieces hit the floor. Yes, and like not a peep. Like when people say you can hear a pin drop, it was like you heard the paper drop. Like yeah. it's Straight so up. crazy. Yes, everyone um, go watch that clip while Clarice was talking about it. Like truly, because it's so maybe we insane. Can, like, I don't find it still. Oh, it's like on the internet. Yeah, I we'll see it to, like, like we'll every to... year on Twitter when the anniversary comes around. It's oh, posted. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we have to um maybe get like record a pic, like a small video of that for Instagram. Oh, we'll totally post it because it's fucking so, good. so crazy. So, good. so obviously, her protest triggered hundreds of complaints from SNL viewers. Mm-hmm. It attracted criticism from institutions, including the Anti-Defamation League and the National Ethnic Coalition of Organizations. Okay. And <laughs> celebrities, including Joe Pesci, Frank Sinatra, and Madonna, who mocked the performance on SNL later that season. Madonna. She did her own, like, I guess she, like, ripped up a picture of, like, a boyfriend or, like, someone like that. It's tacky Madonna. And was, like, That's why your fight face the real enemy. And I was, like, say. also, Madonna, I'm, like, you want to Madonna call someone else in for new being... photo. Have you seen that meme? Oh, God so funny she's like staring into your soul with her like botox face crazy and it's like madonna stuns a new instagram photo stop (laughs) stop sorry but yeah no so she was like she ripped up her own picture on snl and was just like thought she was being funny and cute so funny okay she also like reportedly grew up catholic and was like Mm. "Mm, don't bash my religion i'm like madonna I was like, some of your shit doesn't get on MTV because it's too scandalous. Like, relax. You can't come at anyone else. Like a virgin, please. <laughs> please. Come on, get off your high horse, girl. Women not being for women is worse Do than not men be, not being for women. Like, literally, be a girl's girl or be else. Be a girl's girl or else. Like, be a girl's girl. <laughs> God. <laughs> Two weeks after her SNL appearance, Shanid was booed at the 30th anniversary tribute concert for Bob Dylan at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Which sucked. And in her memoir, Rememberings, that I quoted before, she wrote that she did not regret the protest and that it was more, it was far more important to her to be a protest singer than a successful pop star. And Time later named O'Connor the most influential woman of 1992. A nationwide audience obviously saw Shanid's live performance, which the New York Daily News front page dubbed a, quote, holy terror. That was the headline. Holy terror. These headline creators, please. Yeah. NBC received more than 500 calls on Sunday after Saturday. Um, and <laughs> obviously. And 400 more on Monday. I was like, why are they putting the days of the week in there? I was like, oh, SNL. I was like, oh, that's why. You silly. Silly girl. All of it was criticizing Shanid. NBC received a total of 4,400 calls. Contrary to the rumor... NBC was not fined by the Federal Communications Commission. The FCC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which regulates, like, what we can and can't put on television. I like, mean... They swear words and shit. Yeah, or, like, dicks. Yeah, so they weren't... Yeah, they weren't sued. I mean... Um, which, I mean, yes, yeah. because it has no regulatory power over such... Yeah, behavior. I mean... Freedom of not, speech, Yeah, guys. exactly. NBC did not edit the performance out of the West Coast tape-delayed broadcast that night but did ban Shanid for life. So they kept it for Pacific viewing time, and it was just what it was. I mean, I'm sure, like... Views, guys. The views, yeah, views, were guys. crazy. We know why. 
The following week's episode was hosted by the actor Joe Pesci, who I said was mm-hmm. one of the few people that voiced his opinion, who was raised Catholic. Holding up the photo she had torn up, he explained that he had taped it back together. It's like, homie, get up. And people applauded. The Pope does not care about you either. And he also added that if she appeared on an episode he was hosting, he would have, quote, grabbed her by the eyebrows and would have gave her such a smack. Ew. Okay. Two things. One, ew. Yeah. Two, how would you grab someone by the eyebrows? I think it was more of a bash on, like, she had very full eyebrows. Yeah, but even, that's, like, not even clever. Like, you can't, no. that's, like. He just, like, wanted to be rude and terrible. Yeah. Ugly. Shanid had initially planned to hold a press conference in London, but feared this would become a media circus. So instead, she wrote a letter and sent it off to several major news organizations. In the letter, she wrote that she had suffered childhood abuse due to the suffering of the Irish under the British, a phenomenon she blamed on the Catholic Church, and added, quote, The story of my people is the story of African people, the Jewish people, the Amerindian people, the South American people... The story of countless millions of children whose families and nations were torn apart for money in the name of Jesus Christ. The SNL incident damaged Shanid's television opportunities, career, and reputation. In 2010, she said she had wanted to force a conversation where there was a need for one, which she felt was being part of an artist. I mean, yeah. Yes. In her memoir again, She wrote that she was a protest singer and that she was not a pop star, but a troubled soul who needs to scream into mics now and then. I'm going to put that as my Instagram bio. Yeah, here we are screaming into mics now and then. A troubled soul screaming into the mic. (laughs) Sorry, can I just do like a quick little like side sideline moment? Just reminded me because, you know, like when like religious people or I guess like Catholic people or Christian people, which one's the big the umbrella one? Uh, christianity like when like christian people go on like mission trips oh yeah i that's colonialism (laughs) i thought that's when i was like a kid and young teen Mm -hmm. i thought like mission trips were like you go to impoverished countries and you like help them like i thought it was like I didn't know it had, like, and I thought, like, churches were just, like, where they organized that. Like, mm. I didn't know that you it was, like... I think it was, like, they I, were going to spread the word of God. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, like, I remember, like, telling one of my friends, I was, like, I, like, I would love to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And, like, she was, like, what? She was, like, what do you, like, you're not religious. And I'm, like, I, what do you mean? Like, I was you're so... like, I don't have to be. I was so confused. And then I, like, had to, like, look into it and be, like oh my that's not at all what i thought this was yeah it's always like going to help people but like under you the- have to let us teach you about god if you want us to help you build homes yeah see i didn't know that's, that yeah. i thought it was more of a like habitat for humanity type of thing which exists yeah which is a thing um but no it's i no. so like i was so embarrassed that no. I, had, I had expressed that to like probably more than one person like that i was like interested in mm-hmm. in like doing a mission trip because i literally thought it was like you're just helping people on hard times like i genuinely was yeah. like had no idea and so embarrassing. she never helped anyone ever again no literally <laughs> i literally that was like the time where i was like oh i think like that i think the crazy religious people are bad Mm-hmm. Like maybe let's not do that. Yeah, like maybe, maybe just, just like, like mind your business, do your yeah, own thing, girl. Don't 
maybe Don't push your beliefs onto anyone else, no matter who you are, like, especially those in compromised situations. Yeah. That's predatory and fucked up. Well, it's insane. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's so, like, literally colonialism. Don't even get me started. Okay, sorry. That's its own podcast. Sorry, I had to do like a little like the embarrassing mm-hmm. uh, confession. <laughs> it's not Mondays. Confession happens on Mondays. So, so what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, I don't get that. <laughs> Confession is a Catholic thing, too. You don't even know. OMG. No, like, I know what it is, but, like, I didn't know it happened on, like, a certain day. No, that's, that's just what that's the, cray. um, that's what the billboard of the church up the street says. Confession happens on Monday. 5 p.m. <laughs> what? That's so weird. No, that wasn't a joke. That was literally just a thing I observed. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. All right. So then, yeah. So the abuses hidden by the Catholic church became public years later. And the public opinion towards Shanid obviously changed. Too late, though. Too late. Too little, too late, baby. The New York Times journalist Amanda Hess wrote in 2021 that, quote, few cultural castaways have been more vindicated by the passage of time, adding that the backlash O'Connor experienced was also about the kinds of provocation. Why can't I say the word? Provocate. Provocative. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry, I have to keep that in. I'm not editing that. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just, we're just going to get through that. I like cannot speak. Um, about the kinds of provocations we accept from women in music. After her death in 2023... Glass, who was a yeah producer, uh, wrote that O'Connor had been unfairly treated and had never recovered professionally for having been totally canceled. Understatement of the year, home dog. Yes, like ostracized. People like, literally wanted to kill her on the streets, like yes. genuinely for for saying the Catholic her- Church abused children because she had faced it herself. Like, yeah. it doesn't get more real than that. But people obviously flip their shit. All right. Yeah. So, uh, shall I talk about the church for a second? I guess. Yeah. But again, <laughs> I could go on and on about all the sexual assault allegations and the court cases and proven evidence that would literally be worthy of a college course or doctorate dissertation. Yeah. At that point. So, I'll just get into like the time period that we're talking about here. Okay. So, like we said, when all the shit came to light, everyone's opinion about her changed. Yeah. And in early 2002, the Boston Globe published results of an investigation that led to the criminal prosecutions of five Roman Catholic priests and um, thrust the the sexual abuse of minors by Catholic clergy into the national spotlight. So what happened in Boston, and there are so many documentaries I've seen about this. I watched like all of them during COVID. Okay. On Netflix. They're all on Netflix, guys. Um, I shall link them. But what happened, the investigation that happened in Boston threw open the blinds for all the cases in all the other countries mm-hmm. because this was the first time that it became so public and such a huge, big scandal because Boston has such a large Irish Catholic yeah, community. Yeah, I was going to say that definitely helps mm-hmm. or like. Um, that yeah. the Pope had to respond to it. Yeah, And the Pope of himself had never, any Pope, 
any time, anywhere in the history of Catholicism ever had to make a public statement about these allegations. It was always just hush, hush, keep yeah. it. Like, like don't respond. Yeah. Like I said, the Globe's coverage encouraged other victims to come forward with allegations of abuse, resulting in numerous lawsuits and 249 criminal cases. Subsequent investigations and allegations revealed a pattern of sexual abuse and cover-ups in a number of large DSCs across the United States. And a DSCs is like the, let's think about like a group of parish, like a, like a county almost. Like we call it like a DSCs. It's like the order. Okay. Like the section. Okay. Like the, okay. Yeah. What had first appeared to be a few isolated cases of abuse became a nationwide scandal, then a global crisis for the Roman Catholic Church. In 2002, criminal charges were brought against the five Catholic priests in Boston, Massachusetts, George Giahan, John Hanlon, Paul Shanley, Robert V. Gale, and Jesuit priest James Talbot, who were all convicted and sentenced to prison. The ongoing coverage of these cases by the Boston Globe brought the issue of sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests into the national limelight. Like I said, grassroots public advocacy groups like the Voice of the Faithful focused on Cardinal Bernard Francis Law after documents revealed his extensive role in covering up incidents of sexual misconduct of his priests. Ugh. So Pope top cardinals are like the second tier, basically. Okay. They're probably like, third or fourth actually but for our case they're just the next one down okay bernard francis law was covering up incidences in the united states for example cardinal law moved paul shanley and john giahan two of the convicted guys from boston um from parish to parish within the diocese despite repeated allegations of molestation of children under the priest's care Later, it was discovered that Shanley had addressed a 1978 conference that led to the formation of the North American Man-Boy Love Association. And Please tell me you didn't click on like those websites with that. because No, I just looked up some articles and gathered some facts for y'all. So he addressed this group. Let me Wait. just tell you about this group. Let me just clarify that disgusting last group of words there. The North American Man-Boy Love Association, or the N-A-M-B-L-A, is a pedophilia and... How do I say that? Peders, pederasty? Pederasty. Pederasty. Let me see. It's another word that means pedophilia. So it is a pedophilia and pederasty advocacy organization in the United States. It works to abolish age of consent laws, criminalizing adult sexual involvement with minors, and campaigns for the release of men who have been jailed for sexual contacts with minors that did not involve what it considers coercion. It's also just like NAMBLA is like literally like the attempts at normalizing pedophilia and making yes. it like accepted like those exactly. they try to mm-hmm. do is like make it mm-hmm. normal for them to be outward about their pedophilia instead mm-hmm. of having to hide it yeah and they have this like crazy community where they all like mm-hmm. feed into each other and like it's so disgusting it's disgusting it's and it's actually very bad. so troubling like it's making so me so scary. nauseous it's so scary so yeah so one of the priests that was jailed yeah addressed this group yeah and he spoke he spoke on behalf yeah or f- like to them like in Ew. a fun conference way 
Yeah. This group no longer holds regular national meetings as of the late 1990s to avoid local police infiltration. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, so disgusting. Can we get Chris Hansen up in here? Thank you. Like, please. Yeah. The organization discouraged the formation of local chapters to also avoid getting arrested. Around 1995, an undercover detective discovered there were about 1,100 people on the organization's rolls. NAMBLA was the largest group in the International Pedophile and Child Emancipation Group. These words the you're saying. The IPCE, yeah, these just, exist. like, truly making me which so Which was nauseous. an international pro-pedophile activist organization, if that wasn't yeah. clear enough. Um, since then, the organization has dwindled to only a handful of people with many members joining online pedophile networks. As we know, the internet is a scary place. So but yeah, scary. Uh, nightmares are real, and these people hide behind religion and abuse power and ruin lives. Yeah, it's really scary because I feel like these people, because they're in these positions of mm-hmm. not only, like, power, but, like, of trust. Like, mm-hmm. people who are, like, priests or, like, you know, any sort of, like, kind of, like, authoritative, like, yeah. figure, like... That's like the scariest place for them to be because like as a especially as a child, you are yeah. like taught to trust these people and like uh, and especially so with troubling. Catholicism and like the whole reason why it's like for a priest or like a pope to like exist in our religion is like they are the closest thing to God. So right. they're treated as such. And when you have right. like that person who's supposed to be that close to like the yeah, thing you believe yeah. in. Yeah. Like, of course, it's going to be so hard to get around thinking any other way about it. Well, it's also and doing probably, terrible things. Yeah. Like, but I also thought it was crazy how law enforcement and like probably the FBI, like they knew these people and these organizations existed. Yeah. But they still were so quick to jump on Shanid for even just being like, for even implying yes yeah yeah like we know these scary ass things exist yeah but you're more it's so much easier to just shut her down well you're seeing that in real time right now with people trying to expose like disgusting pedophiles in like the media or like in yes. the big celebs or whatever like yes. that like and those people are, like, ostracized or, like, said they're crazy or, like, whatever the fuck. But then, like, a year later, they're, like, oh, you were right. Yeah. It's so disgusting. It's, it's just, like, the people in power uh, trying to keep the, the other mm-hmm. people in power in power. That's, exactly. like, really what it is. Like, exactly. It's so alarming. It's so disgusting. So, yeah. So, in 2002, after, you know, they were convicted, um, the Boston Archdiocese, so that catholic collection yeah, yeah agreed to pay 10 million to the victims of gogan which was one of the priests and in 2003 it paid an additional 85 million to 552 victims oh my god and parents who had filed civil lawsuits over the ignored abuse it's so so sad. many it's so upsetting over years and years and years and that's probably not even like a half of those them. are just you the know ones that mean? were you know confident and able enough to speak out well honestly it's probably the ones with the parents that believe them or like yeah allow unfortunately them to speak out, you exactly know I and mean? like they're probably kids still like when they're coming out about this mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. fucking scary yeah and uh cardinal law 
submitted his resignation to the Vatican and Pope John Paul II accepted his resignation on December 3rd of 2002. So he is no longer in charge here in the United States. And the Archdiocese closed 65 churches. Oh my God. Before Cardinal Law stepped down from service. Wow. Yep. In response to the scandal, over 50 priests signed a letter declaring no confidence in Cardinal Law and asking him to resign. So, like the Catholic Church sex abuse cases in the United States and elsewhere, the abuse in Ireland included cases of high-profile, supposedly celibate Catholic priests involved in illicit heterosexual relations, as well as widespread physical abuse of children in the Catholic-run child care network, which Shanid talks about. And we think of, like, the classic nun, or even, like, my mom going to private school here in the states yeah she was like the nuns used to spank you and hit your knuckles and all this stuff in school yeah yeah and that was only in the private schools right so again why does it make it okay it's just like too much power Mm -hmm. for people yeah in many cases the abusing priests were moved to other parishes to avoid embarrassment or scandal assisted by a senior clergy member Uh, By 2010, a number of in-depth judicial reports had been published, but with only a limited number of criminal convictions. And this is in Ireland. Okay. So, uh, in March 2010, Pope Benedict the 16th? Don't ask me to read Roman numerals. Yes. Wrote a pastoral letter of apology for all the abuse that had been carried out by Catholic clergy in Ireland. On the 31st of May in 2010, so like two months later, he established a formal panel to investigate the sex abuse scandal, saying that it could serve as a healing mechanism for the country and its Catholics. Okay. So now they're like 2010, they're focusing on Ireland. Okay. But going back in time, in 2002, March of 2002, a BBC documentary titled Suing the Pope, highlighted the case of Sean Fortune, one of the most notorious clerical sex offenders um, in Ireland. The film followed Colm O'Gorman as he investigated the story of how Fortune was allowed to abuse him and countless other teenage boys. Hmm. The church's practice of parish transfers of abusive priests allowed Fortune to be transferred to other parishes without notifying them of any former abuse allegations. Yeah, that's the whole point of them transferring them because no one else knows. It can't be spread around. Right. So this yeah. BBC documentary in 2002, which was also around the same time that all the shit happened yeah, yeah, in Boston, yeah. mm-hmm. um, came out in overseas in England oh, and in Ireland okay. when all the stuff was coming to light in right. the States. But this is 2002. Okay. And what I just read about the formal apology yeah, was in 2010. 2010, exactly. Okay. And again, a month later, in April of 2002, Brendan Comiskey, who was the Bishop of Ferns, an area, mm-hmm. resigned over charges that he had failed to deal adequately with allegations that Fortune and others were sexually abusing children. He was the one in charge of Fortune, and so he resigned. And the guy in the States resigned, who was in charge of all five guys that were charged. Okay. Everyone is resigning because they're being shitty people. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going quick. That's okay. In October of 2002, Ireland's national broadcasting station, Radio Telephilis, Ireland, (laughs) that's in Gaelic, Ireland, or RTE, aired a television documentary titled Primetime Cardinal Secrets, which charged Dublin's Cardinal Desmond Connell with mishandling the sex abuse scandal and accusing him of participating in a deliberate cover-up of facts. Connell retired as Archbishop on 
the 26th of April in 2004. The Murphy Report, I believe that's like a paper or a newspaper, sorry. Okay. Found that Connell had handled the affair badly as he was slow to recognize the seriousness of the situation. It did praise him for making the Archdiocese records available to the authorities in 2002. He was like, yeah, I covered it up and here's proof. They're like, thank you for doing that. But wow. um, in 1995, his actions in giving the authorities the names of 17 priests who had been accused of abuse. He also did that then. Although he said the list was incomplete as complaints were made against at least 28 priests in the archdiocese. Oh, so God. he was cooperative to a certain point where he was like giving them all this information. Um, but he was also covering it up at the same time. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, you can, this is what these people have been doing, but I'm, I going to tell anyone? No, am I going to transfer them around? Yes. He was criticized for being economical with the truth and his use with the concept of mental reservation to inadequately answer questions truthfully about his knowledge of the abuse activities of priests under his control. So. Guilty, guilty, guilty. This is all in Ireland. The rest of the articles describes the charges in detail brought on by these priests in the Massachusetts case and in the Dublin, Ireland archdiocese, but I'd rather not breathe a word of that anymore. Yeah. Cool. So needless to say, the Boston Irish Catholic community has deep Irish Catholic ties to Ireland itself. Yeah. And these public cases that made the Pope and overseer of the Catholic religion answer to his actions was massive in the first time in history where religion didn't have the standing overarching power that they were used to. Right. And Shanid was literally the first Irish Catholic to come forward on an international broadcast and say something about it. And she was struck down for being right. Her <sighs> later years. Okay. So after the SNL performance and all the negative backlash she received for trying to uncover what would come out 10 years later, aside from the release of her 1997 single, Gospel Oak, her recording career faltered in the late 1990s, eclipsed by the turmoil in the singer's private life. Yeah. In 1995, she had an extended custody battle between her ex-lover and herself, who was Irish journalist John Waters, over their infant daughter. I want to say Rosen? Royson? Sure. Royson, yeah. So plagued by Waters' bitter accusation that she was an unfit mother, she attempted suicide in March of 1999, while recovering, she agreed to let Rosen live with her father Okay. Um, in Dublin. But a few days later, she snatched the girl from the home and flew back with her to London. Oh. Yes. So in addition to Rosen, Shanid had three other children. Jake with her first husband, John Reynolds. Shane with Irish musician Donald Lunny. And Yeshuda with Frank Bonadio. So she had four children, three sons, one daughter. In April 1999, she was ordained as the first ever priestess of the Latin Tridentine Church, which was like a Catholic group led by a self-styled Roman Catholic bishop from Ireland named Michael Cox, but separated from like everything that the church stood for, kind of, but still like... We believe in Jesus and can be Catholic, but don't have to abuse children. <laughs> okay. Um, and in April of 2000, her official clerical name, which was Mother Bernadette Marie, was elevated to the archdeacon for her work in Dublin's homeless. So she's still, like, relatively religious and active within, like, her own version of Catholicism. Well, yeah, because she wasn't saying, like, 
you know, the religion itself is bad. She was saying that, like, these people have too much power. They're covering all of this stuff exactly. up and they're abusing people with their power. Exactly. But people always have to take it too much in the wrong way. Yeah. Okay. And then um, in 2000, she also signed with Atlantic Records and her first album in six years, Faith and Courage, which re was released later that year. She went on to release an album of traditional Irish music, Sean Nos Nua, in 2002. And she announced that she was retiring from music in 2003. She who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Almighty. That's a whole name. Okay. Was supposed to be her last album. <laughs> I was like, what, do you, what are yeah, you saying? That's a whole... <laughs> sentence okay but according to people magazine o'connor posted this message on her website quote i'm a very shy person believe it or not so i ask with love that i me that i be left in peace and privacy by people who love my records too and this is like around the time that shane would be born and in 2005 she released the reggae influence throw down your arms and she continued to produce music through 2007 with her theology album and she gave birth to she did that same year she tried marriage a fourth time in 2010 that also supposedly lasted 18 days oh <laughs> yes and then she would release in 2012 how about i be me and you be you and then i'm not bossy i'm the boss in 2014 as her last record her later years would be filled with some mental health crisis that would be sprinkled on her facebook page oh. yeah she would post suicidal things and in 2015 her family managed the page and had been able to take it down but she yeah. was like going on facebook living like posting yeah. you know oh. and then also in 2016 she went missing for a day while biking in Chicago. Oh, my gosh. Only to be found by authority soon after. She then proceeded to write about her personal struggles again on Facebook, this time with a scathing attack on her family, blaming them for her mental health crisis. Okay, like, I'm all about, like, you know, talking about your problems mm -hmm. and stuff, but let's put, f let's close the Facebook tab. This is just not even just at her. This is at everyone. Let's right. close Facebook. Facebook, close it. Let's close it. Mm -hmm. And then, it as we all unfortunately know or heard of, at least, yeah. her son, Shane, who was 17 year old at the time, committed suicide in January of 2022. So sad. Yeah. And Shanid had plans of performing and touring and doing shows, but pos postponed all of them indefinitely. Yeah. And that was like quoted. She was like, I'm indefinitely postponing everything. I'm... Which I mean, I mean, I yeah. cannot blame you at all. But that also very like, damn, like I'm never performing ever again. No, actually. And then it was on July 26 of 2023. So earlier this like summer. Summer. Yeah. Uh, Sheen was found unresponsive at her flat in Hearn Hill, South London, and confirmed dead at the age of 56. The cause of death was not stated, and the following day, the Metropolitan Police reported that her death was not being treated as suspicious. Okay. On the 20th of July, the coroner in London said that the date of her death was still unknown. Oh, so, like, she... Okay. Wait. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, she wasn't found <clears throat> deceased. No, she was found unresponsive. So how do they not... So, like... How do they not know when, then? Like, hospital complications or, like, okay. ambulance complications. Yeah, it's just, like, very vague. All okay. of it, which is kind of sure. sus to me. Yeah. I don't like that. No. 
But yeah, so she ended up passing away, obviously. American singer-songwriter that we know, Phoebe Bridgers, wrote a tribute to Shanid and Rolling Stone, praising her integrity. Yeah. Celebrities such as Janelle Monet, Patton Oswalt, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tori Amos, Bear McCreary, Public Enemy, Amanda Palmer, and Tony Collette posted tributes all on their social media. And English singer Moresi wrote a tribute criticizing the reaction from executives and celebrities and wrote, quote, You praise her now only because it's too late. You hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive and she was looking for you. Not to get into Morrissey, but like the worst guy you know is uh, you, is right. Yes. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So, yeah. That's our <sighs> late and great Shanid O'Connor and how she Such an gave icon. the biggest fucking middle finger in the whole world and was right and... Man, oh man. I like asked my mom today on the drive home. I was like, I'm talking about Shanid O'Connor today, who happens to be born on the same day as you and the same year. And you guys are both, you're both the same age. And she yeah. died this year. I was like, do you remember when she did all this? She was oh, like, yeah. oh yeah. And my mom, again, growing up Catholic, going yeah. to these private schools, yeah. probably dealing with the same shit. Weird. I'm like, are you guys connected in some way? Because that just like creeps me out. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, she fucking did it. She did it. She really she did what she wanted to do, even though no one, everyone ignored her. I think she got the ball rolling. That's for sure. She made it a topic of conversation because now celebrities were talking about it and addressing it. Even if they yeah. were saying, I'm going to kick her ass as a man on public television. So I love her and she's my favorite. I and love her too. I got goosebumps like seven times and then I got a little nauseous in the middle and then I got goosebumps again. So yeah. Here we are. Sorry. Sorry to bring up that gross. No, it's okay. Maybe, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> Can we pause for a moment? Yes. Okay. So I will admit to you before I start this story, I am going to get like a tiny bit conspiracy theorist with this case. <gasps> But I'm I have not to the go first. Grab my tinfoil helmet. Exactly. Every time Melissa brings out the conspiracy in me, I have my helmet ready to go. Well, after our conversation last week about how this is not a conspiracy podcast, I did go on Reddit and look up. We did. Make I it did a conspiracy. Podcast. I I looked up unsolved music musician on Reddit. Okay. And I found a few threads of people like asking, like, is there any like crazy like unsolved cases? In the music industry, and mm -hmm. so I got a lot of fun ideas for the future. Um, Ooh, but this okay. one really got, really spoke to me on, like, a, a different level. Okay, so we're talking about an unsolved case right now. Yes. Yeehaw! And I have such, like, a love-hate with cold cases because, like, well, the love part's, like, more of, like, insane intrigue. Right. It's so easy to, like, fall into, like, the unsolved cold case rabbit hole because mm -hmm. like especially on places like reddit and like just on the internet in general people yeah. like will tell you their theories or like what they heard or like something mm -hmm. like that but obviously like it's terrible thinking about the victims and the victims families like who don't get justice don't have answers you know right. like if me as like a person who doesn't know this person at all is frustrated with the lack of answers i can't imagine like how troubling that is for the victim's families, you know? So I won't get too crazy with the conspiracy theories, but because it is unsolved, there are many a theories 
And I'm only right. talking about the ones, I'm talking about the most popular ones. So today I'm going to be talking about the mysterious unsolved disappearance of the musician named Jim Sullivan. Jim Sullivan. And so let me give you a little bit of background on Jim Sullivan. Should we so, do any warnings? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it, no, I think we're good. Jim Sullivan was born on August 13th, 1940 in Linda Vista, California. Okay. I think that's near like San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. His parents were Irish American farmers in Nebraska, but fled to California after the height of the Dust Bowl era in the late 1930s. He described growing up as a child in government housing project. Mm Mm-hmm. With who he described as other Arkies and Okies. I've never heard those terms before, but to my knowledge, I think it's just a term that people had for the people who migrated like out of the Dust Bowl. Um, I think it was primarily used in California, though. I don't, I'm not too sure yeah. about that. I think they're talking just about, yeah, people from those states. I don't think it's like a bad term. I was no. worried that like when I looked it up, it was going to be like a weird slur. So no. I don't think it is. I think it's like kind of in the, like how we will call it's like Arkansas. Like yeah. Well, I think it's like Arkansas, uh, like Oklahoma. Oklahoma, but it's like mm. generally the people in the Dust Bowl, not just from those two states. Right, like they right. call them that. Okay. Anyway, okay. so growing up where and when he did, he grew a love for American folk culture and he began seeing local blues groups before eventually deciding to join the music scene. As a teen, he balanced music and sports, being the quarterback of his high school football team and also honing in his guitar chops. He love a good all-American. I know. (laughs) He was known as a well-liked guy and was said to be able to make a connection in any social situation. He met his future wife, Barbara, in middle school, which is so cute, and they married soon after they both graduated high school. Okay. At the same time, around around when they got married, um, Jim joined a classic rock band called The Survivors, and The Survivors were already kind of like an established like staple of the music scene in San Diego. Not this becoming a Survivor podcast. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I didn't even connect that. What? first place my mind right the front woman of this band was actually his sister-in-law so barbara's sister uh, and her name is kathy doran jim and barbara had their first child a son named chris in 1961 and then in 1968 they moved to la for Jim to continue pursuing his music career. Mm. Barbara soon got a job, I think as a receptionist, if I'm not mistaken, at Capitol Records. And she became the primary breadwinner while Jim tried to establish himself as a serious musician in the L.A. music scene. Mm. So he played in some notable L.A. venues. I think we've talked about a few of these before, um, like the Lighthouse and the Lindy Opera House. Mm -hmm. But he really found his space and kind of like his people in more of like the Malibu scene, particularly at a club called The Raft, which is now called The Real Inn. 
okay. two ends kind of funny pun but at the raft it was known as kind of like the place where like celebrities and other musicians were known to like kind of frequent and that was kind of like their hangout spot by 1969 jim made his debut album titled ufo this album was crowdfunded by his friends who had been encouraging him to get into the studio and record some things. Just another little, like, he was super likable and people really, like, believed in him and his creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. This album, genre-wise, is mainly described as folk rock, but I've seen how people talk about it and they kind of talk about how timeless it sounds and kind of like experimental in this genre like really like experimental particularly with like the soundscapes and the lyric themes okay okay so on this album there were over 20 other musicians who recorded with him and sonically it had this like ethereal sound but was grounded in his folk country roots okay lyrically the songs had themes of jim's spiritual and mythical beliefs At the time he released his album, he was signed to an indie record label called Mani, who did most of the promotion for this album. He was said to not really be like much of like a self-promoter, which I definitely resonate with. (laughs) Um, The album promotion definitely caught the eyes of some people higher up in the Nashville music scene. Okay. So I don't know if this is confirmed, but I did see like talking about how like Johnny Cash's manager may have been interested in kind of like his sound, but nothing really came of that. So I don't know if that's real or not. Barbara also tried to use her granted lower position at Capitol Records to secure a big name producer for him, but that was also unsuccessful. Like they didn't really take her like seriously. They were like, we have bigger fish to fry or whatever the fuck. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And also I think this was, I don't know if this is exactly true, but like I think around this time, James Taylor, like, obviously huge in, like, the folk scene, Mm -hmm. like, was kind of, like, up and coming, and I think they didn't want another, like, folk artist, even if it was different from James Taylor, like, to kind of overshadow that. Yeah, take that limelight away. Yeah. So, despite his supportive circle and himself being very proud of this album, it never really went big like people who heard it thought it would. Mm -hmm. In 1971, he released his second album, uh, the self-titled Jimmy Sullivan, through Playboy Records. And yes, Playboy Records is connected to Playboy Playboy. Enterprises, yes. Hugh Hefner. Yeah. I think that was just like another business endeavor. I honestly don't think he had much of a hand in in the record company. Fake. Yeah. You mean um, it wasn't at his mansion with all the other Playboy bunnies? That'd be fucking crazy. That's fake. No, I think it, like around this time, um, the it hadn't really been doing well. Like it never really like, that record company never really like did anything super substantial. Okay. Like they were just like, yeah, it was founded in 1949 and was later absorbed like by other record companies in like the early 70s. So they were kind of on their way out when he released his self-titled album through them. So this album also didn't do too well. It was said (laughs) that not only because like it was connected to Playboy in a way, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't really like taken seriously in the music industry, despite having like a decent roster like on the album or on the record company as a whole. And I'm assuming probably a lot of funding, maybe, I don't know. But um, it was also said that the album was kind of like overproduced and it buried Jim's strong lyricism. Mm. So 
didn't really like showcase his strengths, I guess I should say. That's fair. So after this album kind of, for lack of a better term, flopped, (laughs) he began playing in the same pubs and bars again. And I feel like this like really captures like the saying like LA is like ruthless and like, you know what I mean? Like he obviously gained a lot of popularity like in these exact bars and pubs that he had to like go back to once Mm -hmm. he wasn't like going anywhere you know so that obviously for him felt like a huge step back and you know like LA kind of was losing its its sparkle a little bit for him you know the sparkle the elusive sparkle of LA I've yet to see it truly so because of the poor performance on his two albums Jim and his family were struggling not only financially but him and Barbara were struggling with their marriage Mm -hmm. Jim and unconfirmed but Barbara as well I guess they both turned to alcohol uh which is obviously something we've seen very prevalent in the industry well-established artists or not yeah (laughs) no this is the 70s even even worse yeah (laughs) this also obviously became a source of tension in the marriage as well like kind of uh, all the problems get exacerbated Mm -hmm. so between 72 and 74 his life was kind of on this like decline So in 75, he decided that his time in L.A. was ending and he wanted to relocate to Nashville. And just like a side note, his sister-in-law and former bandmate from The Survivors, Kathy Doran, also lived there. So I'm sure he had like some other connections in Nashville. Even now, like folk or like country Mm -hmm. or whatever, like is a huge, Nashville's a huge hotspot for that genre. Absolutely. So... With all of his belongings packed away in his old VW bug, he said goodbye to his son and daughter with the exchange going something along the lines of, like, see you soon, drive safe. And then he set out on his trip to Nashville on March 4th, 1975. He left his family in L.A. and told them to wait and see if he could find success in Nashville before they joined him in this, like, cross-country relocation which is good for any family. Yeah. I also think they were having like, because they were having marital problems, I think that also probably had a factor in like the kind of like hold up, you know what I mean? So around 15 or 16 hours into his cross country drive, he reached Santa Rosa, New Mexico, where he was pulled over by a highway patrol under the suspicion of drunk driving. And this was probably around like three or four in the morning on the 5th. So Mm -hmm. like the day after he had been like swerving and was taken into the police station where he was given a sobriety test, but he passed and proved that he didn't have any alcohol in his system. So the police recommended that he needed to rest because like he was overtired and that's why he was driving so Mm -hmm. recklessly because he still had a long drive ahead of him he decided to go into town and checked into the la mesa motel early in the morning of the fifth okay he didn't really unpack any of his belongings from the car which is odd and later left the room with the room key locked inside so he like literally went in there for like a little bit and then left again yeah In typewritten notes by Barbara shared with the New York Times, she stated that she got a call from Jim telling her that he was all right. 
She had no reason to think otherwise as he only left the day before and the conversation only got more cryptic as it went on. When she pressed for details, Jim responded with, quote, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. She continued in these typewritten notes with, quote, I said, Jim, what's the matter? Is anything wrong? And he said, forget it. Just forget I said anything. I'll call you from Nashville. Eventually, he goes into a nearby liquor store and buys a handle of vodka. He was later seen driving around the Santa Rosa area. In the afternoon, he drives about 26 miles from the motel where he reaches a ranch owned and lived on by a family, the Genettis. Okay. Yeah. At this point, he's basically, like, in the middle of nowhere. It's, like, very deserty, like, very, like, and, you know, like, a ranch, like, you have to have a lot of space, and yeah. they're not usually right up all against each other. No. It's pretty unclear what exactly he was doing on the Genetti Ranch or what exactly transpired mm-hmm. when he was there. It was reported that he drove up a road near the ranch where an older Italian woman who spoke little to no English along with some other ranch hands, ran into him. The interaction in this report was the Italian woman asking, quote, do you have a problem? And Jin replying, no, do you? So, weird. What? Yeah. In a different report, it was said that he drove up to the ranch house and knocked on the door where he was greeted by Mrs. Gennetti, but I couldn't really find what the interaction there was, or if that was even true. A lot of the timeline at this point is very loose and kind of all over the place, like nothing really super confirmed or dug into, mm-hmm. and I'll get into why later. Okay. But what we do know is that on the evening of March 5th, that was the last confirmed sighting of Jim, where he was seen leaving the car on the ranch and walking off towards the desert. In the next few days, his family grew worried about the sudden stop in communication from Jim, and they called hospitals, and then they eventually called the police. So the Santa Rosa authorities began to investigate his whereabouts, tracing the timeline that I just told you that started at the police station and ended on the Genetti Ranch. When they were investigating the ranch, they came across his car. With all of the doors locked, the engine completely dead, and all of his belongings inside, including his beloved guitar, his wallet, other musical gear, and personal audio tapes. One of Jim's friends, Al Dobbs, said, quote, When I heard that, I knew he wasn't coming back. No matter what, Jim would have never left his guitar. And, like, in all of these articles and things like that, like, his guitar was, like, his fucking baby. Like, he literally was, like, attached to the hip with this guitar. Okay. Another report by a nearby road worker named Sammy Chavez was given, and he said that he recalled seeing the VW bug sitting in the middle of a dirt road. Um, And he took note of how strange that seemed, and later after his shift working on the roads, he came back towards the area and saw the same car, but with all of the doors open. Mm. He didn't really report seeing anyone around the car or anyone nearby, so this is freaky as fuck. Yes. On March 8th, the VW was towed off the ranch and assumed to be taken into custody. And I say assumed because there are no reports about the car or its possible findings after it was towed off the ranch. Great. I love 
the completion of evidence yeah. and tampering with evidence. Isn't it great? Oh, girl. So for two weeks, law enforcement, volunteers, and the Sullivan family searched the vast New Mexico desert for any sign of Jim while newspapers released missing person notices for him. So at this point, like, Santa Rosa, it's like a small town, but not in the way where they weren't, like, used to, like, people kind of coming in and out. But this, like, really rocked everyone. Yes. And I saw conflicting quotes from people who were in this area around this time where they were, like, yeah, they were really looking hard and all this stuff, but other people were like, they did not do enough. Like, they did not look hard enough or whatever, you know? Yes. So, you know, the motel didn't have any security cameras, and there were no useful or specific interactions with Jim from anyone that was interviewed in the town the first few days of the investigation. So, like, literally no evidence. Like, he didn't say goodbye to anyone in his family. There were no reported blood or anything found in the car. No footprints that they could even follow from the car to the desert where he was last seen heading. Mm. This part's, like, super fucking frustrating. But around this time the investigation takes place, the Santa Rose sheriff retires and the Gennetti family... Everyone who lived on the ranch in the family moved to Hawaii. And oh, what, what? neither were interviewed after that initial questioning um, by investigators. So obviously this is where things start getting kind of weird. And mm-hmm. I'm going to, in a minute, in a few minutes, get into some other theories. Of- so at the end of March, so not even a whole... Three weeks later, Mm -hmm. there was a discovery of human remains in a New Mexico town called Las Cruces, around 250 miles away from Santa Rosa. Okay. Because of the harsh conditions where the remains were found, um, also in a desert area, it wasn't possible to positively identify who it was without further testing. Mm -hmm. I did read, though, that, like, at first they might have suspected foul play the remains even in the condition that they were in closely resembled jim and everyone was very hopeful when they found these remains that they would be able to close the case and give his family some answers Mm -hmm. so some of the similarities like physical similarities between these remains and jim Mm -hmm. include the victim was in his 30s to 40s and jim was 34 at the time of his disappearance Mm -hmm. both were about 6'2 and weighed about 180 pounds both had similar facial hair a long mustache and a short beard even down to the placement of a tattoo on both men's right arms unfortunately a few weeks later it was reported in local newspapers that the remains were not jim sullivan oh No official police statement was ever released to the public about who this man was. So even to this day, this man is still technically a John Doe. No! Yeah. Plus, like, even if it wasn't a public statement, his family was also, like, never told that the man that they found was, like, had any connection to Jim. So, like, who is he? We don't know. They, yeah, they weren't even thinking that but he they, might have been. But they didn't even come out and say, like, they didn't even say that he was connected. Like, it was all these newspapers, like, being, like... Right, they had no idea that the police had made the connection to this guy. Yes, also. but then they just, they they didn't even, like, acknowledge that they, like, ruled it out. Right. Weird. You know, even if it ended up being Jim's remains, and, like, the remains were just misidentified as someone else... There are still more questions about how 
how he would have traveled all the way there on foot, 250 miles in the desert. Um, And let's not forget the timeline. He was missing on March 6th, and not even an entire month has passed when these decomposed, very decomposed remains were found. And granted, it is a desert, so like, I'm sure that speeds things along, but... True, but it's like about like like there realistically, was, it like, doesn't really seem like there was any formal autopsy. Well, like, well, also, like you walk, he was found two hundred and fifty miles away, and like less than three weeks later. Yes. So say like you walk twelve miles a day, you would need at least ten days. Yeah, and to there, go half. Yes. So you need twenty days. And these weren't like straight like about. flat deserts. Like there were mountains and like it's There's the no fucking way. desert. Like he didn't bring anything with him. That makes zero sense. I agree. Idiots. Yes. Before I segue into these other theories, I'm skipping ahead in time, but we're gonna circle back. Okay. Twenty ten, a music producer for Light in the Attic Records mm-hmm. named Matt Sullivan. He has no relation okay. to Jim Sullivan, oddly okay. enough. He heard one of Jim's records and he then looked into him and heard the story of the mysterious case and set out with a buddy to find answers so they like bopped around like interviewing people and they found nothing so (laughs) and they found absolutely nothing he did talk to some people who knew Jim during his time in LA and went over the timeline of his disappearance in Santa Rosa like I said they didn't really find any new or helpful information that would help the investigation move forward Mm -hmm. I did read that they encountered like a gas station worker who told them that Jim had asked for directions back to California and like someone else had like possibly offered him a ride or something like that but like again it was kind of just like seemed a little bit like red herrings perhaps Mm -hmm. he became obsessed you know with like everything jim sullivan absolutely he then decided to remaster jim sullivan's two albums which brought you know new fans and these albums instantly became cult classics oh yeah so that's cool he kind of like brought it to the forefront and also kind of like sparked interest in his disappearance all the way in like 2010 Mm -hmm. so okay so i'm gonna go into my theories oh boy not my theories the theories i have a few um theories in my own brain and i wonder if they're gonna be talked about this first theory is about the corruption of the police department the local police department i think this theory is like grounded in the fact that it's, like, confirmed that he did have interaction with the police officers, like, when he got pulled over. But I'm going to blanket this theory and all of the other theories with allegedly. Allegedly, they're theories. Allegedly, allegedly. Just so I don't have to say it every time. That's all right. I'll say it for you. <laughs> People believe that there's a possibility that Jim could have said something to upset the police officers or possibly witness something that he wasn't supposed to. Okay. Although Jim was known as a calm, cool, collected, nice guy, he was also a stranger in this town. But like I said, you know, this town kind of like had a lot of tourists coming Mm -hmm. in and out, like a lot of quote, like drifters, you know, so they weren't not used. Yeah, but they could have been treating him like a threat. I'm sure also his like large stature had something to do with like this like contributing to this theory Mm -hmm. you know so like i described earlier the only thing really known about his short time in the station was that he was given a sobriety test passed and was released 
People who believe this theory speculate that he could have been subjected to harassment or Jim possibly caused a scene about being taken in like this. You know, so he could have been drunk. He did buy like a handle mm -hmm. of alcohol and he could have been trespassing on the ranch. If if the police were called, things could have escalated when like between the officers and Jim mm -hmm. during this like second meeting right. that, that later that day, you know. Right, right. But there's also a possibility that the police weren't called on him at the ranch. And when they found him in the desert in Santa Rosa, they moved his body outside of their jurisdiction. Oh, okay. So this theory is kind of like a popular one because of the John Doe's resemblance to Jim and explains why he was found so far away. Mm -hmm. Another thing that gives this theory legs is... A weird and more recent finding about NamUs, so that's the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, and this system just basically covers the entire U.S. It's used as like a database for missing and unidentified people. Mm -hmm. It includes records of DNA tests, police records, and it's constantly being updated in real time if any new findings come out. So it's like okay. a really useful database and it's like helped a lot of cold cases be solved. Absolutely. It was found that Jim Sullivan is not included in this database. Many people... I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that. Some skeptics of this particular theory just credit this, like, as a mistake. You know, the, the case is 40 years cold at this point. Mm -hmm. Whatever. But a man named John Lorden looked into this error and found even more disturbing news that there was no official missing persons case filed in New Mexico, either by state police or Santa Rosa PD. There are no reports what? about Jim's missing persons case in any police archives or de departmental documentation of their search for Jim. It's unclear if the Sullivan family ever filed an official missing persons report, but the reason all of the search details and the timeline are so all over the place and much of the details are kind of like unconfirmed is that the only documentation of the search for Jim is in newspaper paper articles. That's not good. It's also worth reminding you to tie into this theory that the Santa Rosa police sheriff moved away and retired very soon after the search actually began. I don't know, just a little... Mm. Mm. Okay, next theory. Similar theory regarding people who left soon after the search began. Mm -hmm. If you remember the Gennetti family who owned the ranch... Yeah, now we're living it up in Hawaii... Yes. I wonder if they're still over there. I don't know. Bro. About this family, some citizens of Santa Rosa allege that the Gennetti family has a history of illicit activities and were directed by influential people in, a, in the Chicago gang organizations. Yo. Yeah. Also, here's <laughs> another thing I'll say. I know, like, what is it? Arizona is, like, a safe haven for like the new york boston yeah mob. the name Janetti in the middle of buttfuck nowhere right new mexico that's fucking italian mafia. come on that name bitch guys and i can name. say that because my last name's d'angelo yeah literally <laughs> so anyway the only like backing to this theory that like to me kind of seems like you know small town gossip kind of mm -hmm. thing like there's no like official reports of them doing anything and like it's you know I mean, but, like, 
you know how small towns are. Like, there's, like, an ostracized family who lives kind of, like, off by themselves. Or they paid everyone off. Perhaps. Who knows? Allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know. So, but, like, this, he was last seen by people on this ranch, reportedly. And, you know, maybe, like, a large drunk man knocking on their door, trespassing on their property was enough for them to, like, take care of the situation on their own. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the mafia, they're, like, pretty good at getting away with legal things. So. Yes. Who knows? Allegedly. Allegedly. So, there's another theory. This one, I think, is, like has no bearing in reality like truly jim left la due to troubles and was caught before he was able to escape he met and befriended like a lot of musicians and celebrities during his time in la and at the raft that was a place like i said where like celebrities and musicians gathered and kind of like Jim's like main spot people think that there's a good possibility that he got close with the wrong kind of crowd or maybe he owed people money that he didn't really he wasn't able to pay back Mm -hmm. thus leading to his escape to Nashville without his family coming along Mm, okay this escape theory could explain why he was driving for 16 hours straight even though it was very clear that his body could not handle that Mm -hmm. and somehow like his time at the police station maybe like made whoever was chasing him like closer to finding him Mm -hmm. this could also explain like why he went to a residence instead of just like sleeping at the motel and continuing his route like as normal or like why he never brought any of his personal belongings in the room like maybe he was trying to like throw them off his trail kind of thing right okay but continuing the theory like maybe he was denied help from the genetics upon arrival and was caught by the people he was running from soon after like i said people tend not to really believe this one especially like people close to jim stating that he was the kind of guy that avoided any sort of conflict at all costs so like i don't know he doesn't at least from the people that were close to him like didn't really seem like the kind of guy that would get himself in this situation but i don't know like alcohol like alcoholism does weird things to people Mm -hmm. so maybe i'm not really sure that one to me doesn't really have a lot of legs though i don't know seems like he would be a little more erratic right i don't know so stay with me on this next one okay okay this is literally where it gets like tinfoil calf i'm so ready (laughs) i was waiting i was waiting for the unhinged one to come forward this is the unhinged one one of the reasons his remastered album ufo got cult classic status was because of the theory that jim encountered extraterrestrial life in new mexico desert and was either abducted or went with them on his own free will fucking amen i was waiting we're talking about new mexico here i know this theory is backed by fans inspecting the lyrics themes and surreal soundscapes of songs on the album ufo on the album he sang of like beckoning highways aliens other mythical mystical concepts Mm -hmm. that led these believers to think that jim had some otherworldly knowledge or connection with the unknown okay his family hasn't ruled out this possibility either no she you know she fully was like dad was taken by aliens his son chris told the new york times Uh. quote 
My parents weren't addled by any great intake of drugs, but they were very much of their times and believed in reincarnation and astrology. She was convinced he was up in the stars somewhere waiting for her, which is so sad. Jeez. And I'm, I, to, in my opinion, like, I think, like, Barbara believes this theory the most because it's probably like the easiest for her to like understand absolutely because i think they both shared belief in like you know like otherworldly things just in general not even just like aliens yeah there's not really much other like information about like that theory i just Mm -hmm. thought it was thought it was fun and interesting it really spoke to me i was like what aliens aliens but it like it does kind of like i don't want to say like explains but like there was no evidence and like the there was like i don't know it's weird it's weird it's weird because it's like what the fuck you can't how do you just disappear without a trace you know what i mean like not even like and the car door thing is weird like i think that's odd it's yeah. striking to me. <laughs> but then how did the car get locked? I don't know. See, this is where my tinfoil hat is And everything just, like, was like manual bigger. back then. Yeah. Cars. I don't know. It is the most like widely accepted theory is that Jim was having some sort of mental health crisis that led to his death. Like mm-hmm. whether that be on purpose or accidental. Because of his lack of growth after his two albums and his marital problems, exacerbated by alcohol abuse, along with just, like, the times, like, the mid-70s, like, everything was shitty. Yes. Um, so most people who have looked into this case believe that during his extended drive and problems in Santa Rosa, Jim got drunk and walked into the desert with the intentions of never coming back. His remains, never being confirmed found, could be explained by desert animal life, harsh conditions, or the surrounding desert mountains just being impossible to kind of comb through. Absolutely. This part of New Mexico, I guess, is also known for having, like, a weird amount of, like, lakes or other bodies of water, like, within the desert. So it's possible that that's, like, where he died and, or, like, where he... Yeah, literally tripped and fell drunk and drowned. Yes. But many people close to Jim don't really believe that he would have gone anywhere without his most prized possession, his guitar, as well as thinking that he wasn't really the kind of person who would just, like, up and leave his family in those kinds of circumstances. Yeah, except they do forget that if he was any sort of troubled, and troubled by his music. Yeah. If music was bothering him, wouldn't the last thing he wanted to have was his guitar? Like, why is he going to stay loyal to that, one? And two, he already, like, before any of this goes down, he's like, family, I am leaving. But his, like, everyone, all of, like, the reports and, like, interviews that I could find of, like, people that knew him around this time that he decided to leave, like, he seemed, like, very set on, like, reestablishing and, like, really, like... So kind of like re yeah he seemed hopeful that's like whatever like in nashville like he seemed like this was going to be like a good move for him okay but he like i guess like didn't want to move his whole family like if it was going to be a flop especially because like Mm -hmm. barbara had like a job you know what i mean like she was a breadwinner so i don't know okay to add to this theory lyrics from his song so natural stated i'm going to read you this verse a more natural pose i couldn't bear to see and i hope that these people never visit me 
It's my time to go, and I just want the wind to blow, my ashes until they're completely out of sight. And they wouldn't say that he looks so natural tonight, his hair up on just right. It's my time to go. I just want the wind to blow. Kind of spooky. spooky. There is also like adding to this theory to kind of round it all out. Mm -hmm. There was a statement by a producer named Bob Ginter that Jim worked very closely with. He recalled after a long night of recording early in the morning, him and Jim had a conversation about what they would do if they had to or wanted to disappear. According to Ginter, Jim replied to that question with, he'd walk into the desert and never come back. I don't like that either. That is the mysterious disappearance and unsolved case of Jim Sullivan. Can I share the conspiracy theory that did not get answered? Please. Okay. Because there were so many more. There was a lot. And some of them were like cracked out. I was like, okay, I love conspiracies, but that one's nuts. Okay. What if he never died? And then he returned to that small town to, quote unquote, investigate his murder and then freaking revamped and remastered. No, I think this this is like like an early 20s man. Like, I don't think this is like an old man. Okay, so maybe he found aliens that made him young again. (laughs) See, now you're getting crazy. And then he came back and remastered his own shit and was like successful he's like i didn't need to go anywhere to revamp me i just needed to be young again and to do it myself with my old stuff okay i thought you were gonna have like an actual conspiracy theory (laughs) (laughs) me goes to one of these like conspiracy theory like conventions and i get up there to like do my theory they're like they're like no that's not a good one yeah what i mean like how can i how do i get booted out of a conspiracy theory theory I don't know. Anyway. That one wasn't good, though. I think there are some theories that he just kind of, like, took off. Like, kind of, like, re... Like, I don't know. Redid his look and just kind of, like, lived a life. Like, but, like... He did his look to look like a 20-year-old? Yeah. No, Clarice. <laughs> I no. think so. <laughs> but... I think so. I don't know. That one also doesn't have, like... I feel like sometimes with, like, people who have, like, mysteriously disappeared, mm-hmm. there's been, like, weird random, like quote like sightings like Mm -hmm. unconfirmed sightings of them and i couldn't find anything like that a lot of people most people like just think that he like you know went off into the desert yeah and if you go off into a desert when it's hot and you don't know the area and you're not prepared like you're going to die it's also just like a desert like even if you did know the desert like sorry there's like people that have lived there for like thousands of years that know the desert Mm -hmm. there you don't know the desert Exactly. Yeah. In my opinion, mm-hmm. allegedly, allegedly, I think the police corruption one is the most likely. Honestly. Yeah. Like, I think that one has the most, has, like, the most, like, things to back it up. Yeah. Small town business is kind of scary because the, yeah. the things don't. Well, it's, like, I think, like, the bigger, like, even, like, the bigger police, like, departments are able to get away with like a lot so like i don't think there's a lot of people checking the like smaller police departments but like the like distance between like and it wasn't even like confirmed him like i want to know who that like what that is true the thing that is spooky though like even if like you look like someone as soon as there's like tattoo evidence 
It's weird. That stuff is like too specific. It's they really can't crazy. Just, like, dismiss it. A lot of people also think that that's like, regardless of how he got there, like that that, that those remains him. were him. Yeah. Which is like there are a lot of similarities. Like that, like really, like the description is mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. but there's no really like information about like if there's any like follow up investigation on if they did or didn't think it was Jim Sullivan, mm-hmm. like who these remains were, yeah. you know, poor, poor policing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. like actually insane. And the fact that there's no like police record that to me just also like spooky. sealed it in, you know what yeah, I mean? Like true. there's That's no corrupt. record except in the newspapers of mm-hmm. the search. Even mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's nuts. I also kind of want the mafia one just to like, not even like related to the story. I really just hope they were like actually like Al Capone's like bidding. <laughs> I really do yeah, wish them the best. <laughs> <laughs> we're always trying to be friends with the mob here. True. Oh my gosh. Cover my back. Yeah, actually though. That's nuts. Isn't that cray cray? You always do really good missing persons. They're conspiracy. I just stories. like, unfortunately I do. I am so intrigued by the cold cases because especially with these like high profile mm-hmm. people, like mm-hmm. the conspiracy theories are just so like they go in so many which ways and you're yeah. just like, Oh my God, that could be true. Oh my God, that could totally be true. And like the, uh, I hate not knowing. I hate not knowing. I hate not knowing. You know what I also hate not knowing? What? is you not telling me you're going to do, like, a conspiracy theory thing. Sorry. And then I don't have time to prepare my tinfoil helmet, which I will be wearing next time you do one of these. Okay, I'll let so you I know. So I better know in advance. Because I'll probably do a content. lot of them because I have, like, a now full list and of, I'm like, gonna seriously And I'm going to hide it. And then you're going to be like, mysterious. I'm doing a conspiracy theory case, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to make you one. I'm gonna and make I'll be you like, one. let's go. And then you're going to stare at me the whole time in my tinfoil helmet. Do you remember when you made your birthday crown, birthday crown. so my mom and dad every year on every anyone's birthday it started out with like just breakfast in bed on your mm-hmm. birthday sweet little family tradition and then my mom like got this crown one year like a birthday crown and then that became like the main part of the tradition mm-hmm. where if like you weren't eating breakfast in bed with your crown like mm-hmm. it wasn't even your birthday basically no, it wasn't and so, like, when Clarice and I lived together, like, we didn't have a crown. We didn't have a crown. We didn't have a crown. And so Clarice made me one out of tin foil. There's I probably a picture it. somewhere. Oh, there's definitely a picture. I don't know where it is. I feel like I saw it kind of recently, and I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah. So now I must return that loving gesture to you and make you a tin foil hat. Yeah. For your stories. For my stories. Because I just love the, the mystery. I love do. the conspiracy. Like the Unsolved Mysteries show. Oh my gosh. So good. Drives me crazy. Crazy. Drives me crazy in like in a very focused way. <laughs> in a very productive way. I in am a fun gone productive way. Absolutely insane. Like I just literally like That's like the most Sherlock Holmes thing I've ever heard. Well, I'm just saying like things that are not like solved or like cl- open and shut makes you focus well it's also do like you listen to your it's also your people who love like weirdly too <laughs> it's also people who love like deep diving on the internet like that's like also they you. go so hand in hand and that's why also I'm like, you. yeah 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 yeah. you do all those things yeah i know 
You so. just made a list of things you do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, everyone should go listen to the UFO album, though. It's you say cult cool. classic. Is it in any films? I don't think so. I think it was more just like he got kind of like this like resurgence of fans. And okay. because of like how like, okay, experimental seems like crazy, but like it was just like really like it was different. Mm-hmm. You know, his second album, like, didn't really get as much love even from, like, the remasters, mm-hmm. but, like, that UFO one, especially because he disappeared crazy. In freaking yeah. New Mexico. Yeah. And, yeah, it is pretty, it's it's good, though. The songs are, like, simple, but but ethereal. One might say out of this world. So true. That made my brain hurt. Good. Welcome to my world. <laughs> well on that note on that note thanks for listening my dear lovely friends okay okay so happy to that was weird that was my baron they blue house impression did you have oatmeal for breakfast i love him um that's where my brain went i love it (laughs) yeah thank you for listening um come back next week yeah yeah next week for just in probably another normal, normal one. episode. Yeah, let's do a normal We're deciding one again. that right now. Yeah. I would love it though if we got maybe some like topics that you guys like want us to discuss or maybe even like yes. a case. Request. That would be really nice. Um we only are... because I feel like I keep seeing the same names over and over again and mm-hmm. some of them I'm like, I don't wanna do that. Or some of them I'm like, I don't think people will like that. Mm-hmm. So like I would love to hear from y'all. This is like a this is like a in podcast poll because the other polls don't really get voted on too Traction. much. So we're gonna try it, this way. So please do it on Instagram. I guess you can do it on Twitter slash X. I don't like really. I see things on there, but I don't post on there much anymore. Yeah. Or you can do it on Facebook. I guess yeah. I check and that too. We're also inching towards like we're kind of getting into our podcasting. Yeah, we really are. Episodes, so maybe we should hit one of those big hitters we've been talking about for a while and team up yeah, on one of those Yeah, maybe we guys. should. Okay, maybe we'll just do one worth... more episode normal, and then maybe we'll get into, like, a heavy hitter. What heavy hitter do you guys want us to cover? I know there's a lot that people have mentioned Classics. to us already. If you've already mentioned it, mention it to us again, please. We love you. Love you. Bye. 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 UFOs are real. Goodbye. <laughs> you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram, at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com.